from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Welcome to Aspect Radio. Let's take a break from trailers and talk a little bit about your recent excursion, your annual excursion at this point, up to Nashville Yeah. for the Nashville Film Festival. You saw a lot of movies as you were wont to do at film festivals, and obviously you can walk out of there exhausted and your brain feels like mush after seeing as many movies as you do. But do your best and give us a nice little roundup of maybe the three or five best movies you saw that weekend. So first off, I think the one that listeners are perhaps going to get a chance to see sooner than than any of the others. And actually, if you have DirecTV, you can rent this on demand right now. It's available exclusively on DirecTV until May 15th when it opens in limited release and on other VOD services. It is the Western... Slow West, starring Cody Smith-McPhee, Michael Fassbender, and Ben Mendelsohn. Rose, my love. Jane, my Romeo. Once upon a time, Jay Cavendish traveled from the cold shoulder of Scotland to the baking heart of America to find his love, a jackrabbit in a den of wolves. Arms abroad, boy. Sir, I'm Jay Cavendish, son of Lady Cavendish. We're all sons of bitches. Keep heading west solo. You'll be dead by dawn. I take care of myself. Sure, kid. You need chaperoning. Let's drift. This is just a really kick-ass Western adventure movie that feels like the wry, darkly comedic companion piece to the Coen brothers' True Grit. Michael Fassbender is this sort of roguish bounty hunter who stumbles upon this naive young man from Scotland, played by Cody Smith McPhee, who's making his way through the Colorado Territory to find his true love. This boy doesn't know what he's getting into the territory is incredibly dangerous with outlaws and gunslingers every which way so for a nominal fee michael fassbender's bounty hunter agrees to accompany the boy to his uh, destination of course there is a bit of an ulterior motive and they do run afoul of a team of other bounty hunters led by ben mendelson in one of his fun flamboyant villain roles you know the movie is about how awful life on the frontier and how uh, is and how dangerous and how deadly it is but um, it approaches this of course much like True Grit did with a really wry sense of humor and fans of, of Michael Fassbender are going to like it but but fans of the western genre and really film fans in general should find a lot to like about Slow West so that's something you can actually see right now if you have direct TV and I do highly recommend it it's a lot of fun Nice. It sounds like a good contrast to other bleaker frontier yeah. pieces like Meek's Cutoff or even The Homesman from last uh, year. It's probably as brutal as The Homesman, yeah. but it takes a comedic eye at, toward it. So, um, you know, there's a climactic shootout, as you would expect in Slow West, that is both brutal but also just completely hilarious. And it, it's such an odd mixture of tones that is handled perfectly. Say again who directed it. It's the debut of John McClane. John McClane? That's his name? Or maybe it's... John? Man, I wish that guy luck. Spelled differently than what you're thinking. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it is John McLean or McLean. Uh. Maybe McLean. <laughs> Just so we don't confuse him with Bruce Willis. Yeah, he's a former uh, rock musician who transitioned into directing uh, short films. His short films, I think at least one of them starred Michael Fassbender. They became friends, obviously, and Michael Fassbender is now in his feature debut. Sure. So uh, really interesting piece of work. Actually, one of the more noteworthy elements of it is the cinematography shot by Robbie Ryan, the cinematographer who traditionally works with Andrea Arnold who shot Fish Tank, who shot Wuthering Heights. Really striking movie and shot, you know, in New Zealand, actually, to stand in for the American West, which is, to my knowledge, the first time that's been done somehow. And as you can imagine, Middle Earth makes a pretty good American frontier territory. You'd think. Yeah. Okay. So really nice, nice looking, very fun movie. Awesome. I saw the biopic of Brian Wilson, Love and Mercy, starring Paul Dano and John Cusack in a dual role. Dano playing the younger Wilson circa the recording of Pet Sounds and uh, the attempt to record Smile. Uh, And uh, Cusack plays a late 80s, early 90s Wilson as he is uh, sort of under the control of the notorious therapist, Dr. Eugene Landy who's here played by Paul Giamatti in a very threatening, villainous role. Man, Giamatti with the musical biopics of 2015. He's racking them up, right? <laughs> As an aside, speaking of recent trailers, I don't know about you, but Straight Outta Compton, to me, looks really good. Yeah, for sure. Maybe he'll next play the guy who like discovered all those boy bands. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Love and Mercy not only features Paul Dana's probably best performance ever well i was gonna ask you because paul dano just seems like for the audience such a risk reward proposition i mean there's a pretty clear resemblance to brian wilson especially because paul dano put on a little weight for this yeah he's so committed to the role that it's directed by a first-time director too not a newcomer to the business bill polad who's made his career as a producer of a lot of terrence malick movies like the tree of life he produced 12 years (laughs) a slave guy's been around he's you know, obviously made a name for himself already in the business as a producer, but he's making his directorial debut with this fairly complicated story that sort of alternates between these two timelines. And despite some very first director stylistic things, he just goes kind of over the top with them at points. Dano's very committed. Cusack is, you know, he's had kind of a hard decade and a half. He's been kind of slumming it, I think, by most measures. Well, reassure us, fans of John Cusack. He's from, excellent. From old. I was going to say, yeah. Have, have, we, have we lost John Cusack? We have not lost John Cusack. At the very least, this is reassurance that he's still got it, whether or not he's willing to take roles that, that require this level of, of commitment uh, remains to be seen in the future. But if he wanted to, he definitely could. And he's perhaps, I mean, this is the best he's been in a long, long time as Brian Wilson, even though he doesn't, of course, physically resemble Wilson all that much. Right. But it also stars Elizabeth Banks as the woman who would become Wilson's second wife. Right. And, you know, it's just a great 
musical biopic style story falls into that formula a little bit but still very graceful in the way it sort of embraces all that and shot actually by robert yeoman oh wow yeah so always a plus you know it looks good yeah and i'm a big beach boys fan so i and a lot of people obviously are too i I saw them a few years ago at the tuscaloosa amphitheater the the mike love all-stars yeah and it's a really unusual really sad story especially for fans it's one of those famous rights issues and, and it's such a sad story that fans wish just was not necessary. And you, you, you wish that people in this industry, especially a group like the Beach Boys, could just live in harmony forever. But unfortunately, it's just not the case. And Brian Wilson is just such a musical genius in just the history of the art form. Yeah. He's a guy whose life obviously deserves the cinematic treatment that it obviously gets with this film. So that's yeah. one I'll definitely put on my yeah, calendar. Absolutely. I think it's released in, in uh, limited June 12th. So hopefully it'll come around here sometime in June, maybe July. Uh, so the local uh, listeners can get a, uh, a look at it. I, it's well worth seeing. Sweet. What's next? Next up, I've got two that one of which has been acquired by a distributor, one that hasn't, that don't have release dates set. So keep an eye out for them more than likely in the fall. The first has been picked up by Magnolia Pictures with no release date in sight. It's called Entertainment. Now, Entertainment is not going to be for all tastes, but it certainly was for mine. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Greg Turkington. No. He's an alt-comedian who is perhaps best known for his character, Neil Hamburger. This comedian character, this sad sack with a bad comb over and big glasses who tells hacky jokes on purpose that gets a laugh out of how uncomfortable it is. As you can imagine, he's a guy who frequently collaborates with Tim Heidecker and Eric Wehrheim. Entertainment is the follow-up from director Rick Alverson, who sort of first came to my attention, I think, in 2012 with his movie The Comedy, starring Tim Heidecker. Heidecker, Alverson, and Greg Turkington co-wrote the script for Entertainment, which stars Turkington as a sort of take on his Neil Hamburger character, as this nameless, sad sack comedian touring seemingly a purgatorial waste of dive bars filled with indifferent crowds in the California desert. It's sort of a take on the American road movie in its sort of existential exploration of this sort of bleak artist figure who is coming to grips with the meaninglessness of exactly what he's doing. Of course, the art that he's peddling are these terrible hacky jokes but you know there is an artistry to it and entertainment is you know kind of a comedy you could use that term loosely because it's also just super bleak really interesting movie that is not going to speak to everybody i'm not sure that the crowd at the festival liked it much but it spoke to me and it also stars uh, john c Riley, ty sheridan and michael Sarah in a really menacing cameo randomly hmm. it's one of the things that adds a little bit of comedy to it if sure. you you know the fact that you chuckle at michael Sarah as a menacing figure tells you everything you need to know about this movie yeah i feel like the comedy is one of those movies if you have netflix or netflix instant it's just one of those like images that stares at you as yeah. you're scrolling through what to watch and it's just been there for like the past several years it's quite good yeah i like entertainment i think a little more 
Okay. The next film does not yet have distribution, so far as I know, but has made waves at festivals all around the country since its debut at Sundance this year. It's a documentary called Welcome to Leith. You've got towns which saw themselves as having lots of streets and lots of houses, and now they're deserted. The first picture we saw was actually on ghosttowns.com. When we moved in, we used to joke that we increased the population of Leith by what, 25 or 50% (laughs) or something. You know, if somebody says we want to move there, we were grateful for it because we had new neighbors and uh, just more people around. It would be extraordinarily beautiful when people enter the town, particularly at night, because we will have floodlit flags of all of the formerly white nations of Europe. Well-known white supremacist Craig Cobb plans to turn Leith into a white nationalist community. We want to politically control the town, yes, that's absolutely true. That's fellow white Americans hating on us, who are also white Americans. You just can't forcefully throw somebody out. I'm sure those people are packing. Have you heard of this? Yeah, well, I saw you tweet about it the other day, and I I did a little research, and it sounds really interesting. It is fascinating. Not only the story, but the filmmaking, which is so immediate and so terrifying. Welcome to Leith uh, is the story of what you may remember as an interesting item in the news from a few years back. A small town in North Dakota called Leith, with a population of 24 people, is suddenly beset by a notorious white supremacist whose ambition is to buy up land in Leith and sell this land to like-minded people, like-minded white supremacists at a bargain so that they could move to Leith and legally sort of take over civic government being the majority of the population in order to fashion Leith as their own separatist society. Welcome to Leith, at first, and most prominently, takes the point of view of, of course, the citizens of Leith, the 24 people who are living there, who seem to be powerless to stop this guy's plan, because this guy's plan, like it or not, falls within the confines of the law. He's not technically doing anything illegal. But needless to say, as Leith becomes the center of attention from the media, as journalists from all around the country and the world converge on this city, and as white supremacists from all around the country converge on this city, tensions grow. Now, I don't know what the filmmakers, when the filmmakers found out about this story, but it seems from what they are able to capture that as soon as they heard about it, they were there with cameras recording all of this. It is remarkable, the footage of concerned townspeople and then eventually even the points of view of some of the white supremacists, what they're able to capture. They even go to Montgomery, Alabama to talk to folks at the Southern Poverty Law Center who have been well aware of this guy and some of his uh, hateful speech and some of his uh, dangerous activities for quite some time. But Welcome to Leith, I mean, is not only just remarkable from a filmmaking perspective, it's terrifying. 
because it shows that this completely over-the-top level of hatred could come from anywhere. It could be in your backyard. It could be festering in your neighborhood. And, and these people, scrawny, dorky-looking, soft-spoken, uh, normal, otherwise-looking dudes until you realize, wait, is that a swastika tattooed on them? And what are they saying? I mean, it's a frightening movie. Uh, in, in its implications, but absolutely worth seeing. Awesome. Those all sound fantastic. And yeah, that one in particular, I think people are going to be really intrigued by when it starts to get, like you said, when it finds a distribution. And, Which I can't imagine it won't. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds too compelling to ignore. Yeah. You know, so that's great, man. And I think that those are titles that everybody's going to seek out for sure. And I'm curious, though, I mean, not every film you see at a film festival is the best. Yeah. Were there any stinkers? There weren't any stinkers. You know, what I thought was remarkable this year is that I didn't really see any films that I just hated. Yeah, that's and good. There were a couple I didn't, you know, love, but there was nothing I hated. You know, I will say this, and it's probably a discussion we'll have this summer. I saw and enjoyed quite a bit, but was not over the moon for the Sundance Jury and Audience Award winner, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Yeah. The trailer for that, I think, has come out recently, and, and, and maybe uh, listeners have gotten a chance to take a look at that. It's a good film, but maybe the weight of expectations got to me a little bit there, because for me, it, it didn't really come together in that sort of emotional dramedy way that uh, so many of the best of those movies sometimes do um, but it is still quite quite worth seeing is there anywhere people can go to read a more detailed recap of your trip i don't have a full recap up yet but i have long reviews of a lot of the films i saw i have reviews of slow west entertainment me and earl and the dying girl and then the new nick crawl movie adult beginners and love and mercy up at uh, arts Beham dot com where uh, you can read all of my reviews and eventually a full recap of a lot of the smaller titles I saw and, and still enjoyed mothers from Nashville all the friends play music and they ain't uptight if one of the kids will because it's custom made for any mother's son to be a guitar picker in Nashville